Welcome to Sustainability Leaders. I'm Michael Torrance, Chief Sustainability Officer with BMO Financial Group. On this show, we will talk with leading sustainability practitioners from the corporate, investor, academic, and NGO communities to explore how this rapidly evolving field of sustainability is impacting global investment, business practices, and our world. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to try to do something a little different and have a roundtable discussion on some current topics we've been seeing in the field of sustainability. I'm joined by my colleagues, David Sneed with BMO Global Asset Management's Responsible Investment Team in London, and Manju Seal with BMO's Sustainable Finance Team in New York. I'd like to get the discussion going by asking the group about three concepts that are increasingly defining how we understand sustainability, purpose, resilience, and impact. I've been struck by how BMO's own response to the COVID pandemic has been driven by our own purpose vision, which is to boldly grow the good in business and in life. We spent a lot of time as an organization to define our purpose, and it's really proved to be a guiding star in how we've responded to this pandemic. The idea of social purpose of the company was the focus of a statement from the U.S. Business Roundtable in 2019, which defined corporate purpose to include stakeholders with an emphasis on attaining long-term value for shareholders. Resilience has also been a theme that has come up a lot in the context of climate change. And in that context, it's meant adopting approaches to identify and assess climate-related risks to business and provide disclosure to the marketplace so that at a market level, there can be an understanding of how those risks could affect the value of companies or assets. And the goal there is to promote a better understanding of climate risk and promote resilience both for companies and for the market more broadly. Impact, too, has emerged as a really core topic of sustainability. And that focus has been on finding ways for businesses to achieve positive environmental, social, or economic outcomes and to achieve win-win opportunities with stakeholders and mitigate negative impacts where possible. Each of these concepts of purpose, resilience, and impact have become real focal points for sustainability before the COVID pandemic. And I think they've also become really material to how companies that have successfully responded to this COVID pandemic have done so. There's an increased scrutiny on the social impacts of business, and the COVID pandemic is forcing business leaders to consider and articulate the important role that their companies can play in the response. The ability of companies to be resilient is also being put to the test. That resilience, in turn, is often dependent on the ability of companies to achieve positive impacts and communicate their social purpose. So there's an interrelationship that's really emerging between these different ideas. So I'd like to throw out this idea to the group that purpose, resilience, and impact in a post-COVID world will become real pillars and core aspects of the definition of sustainability. So maybe I'll throw it out to David. What's your take on that and what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can comment as the investor around the table here. And I think it really nicely summarized kind of the many different facets that can come with sustainability. I think kind of taking each of these in turn, 
So purpose, this kind of idea of it's not so much a question of what does a company produce. Often we can think of, particularly when we're looking at companies, they all fit into these sectors and these sort of profiles, but actually going beyond what is the product they make, actually there's a deeper question about what do these companies do? Who are they? What is it that defines them? And importantly, how do they differentiate themselves from their peers? You know, A lot of the work that we do when it's looking at where we're going to be allocating client money is really looking at how does one company differentiate itself from another? How is this company a better place to put the money in than another? So anything that actually goes beyond that surface level of here's our output and actually begs that question of this defines who we are as a company, I think is really important. The kind of that, that area of resilience. Now, this has always been quite a big focus, I think, on the ESG integration side. So as we're looking at how we can integrate ESG, environmental social governance considerations into our analysis companies, And I think a lot of that does often focus on that kind of downside risk, actually. How is it that companies are preparing themselves? How is it they're managing the risks that they're involved with to be sure that they can navigate the world we live in? And I think, as you say, we've really seen that tested with COVID. So this has been a really, really big test of resiliency in all different parts of the business, not just, you know, how strong is your balance sheet and not just how diversified or how structured is your supply chain, how secure is that supply chain? Actually, questions of, for example, how good is your workforce and how much do they actually want to work for you and do they see meaning in the work that they do? Are you now asking things of them that actually they may actually not be willing to do because that time and energy has not been put in? They have maybe not been cared for the way that they should have previously to actually build up that goodwill. Well, actually, right now, companies really need to capitalize on that goodwill, particularly with their staff and in turn also with their customers. And just that final bit of point on, which is this idea of impact. And I know on this podcast, we've talked about the industry moved more and more towards impact. And on many occasions, you know, it's now really interesting and important part of any investment story that a company has to tell. And I think there's just more and more interest from certainly our clients. And I'd say also, those in society and, and we're seeing that more with covid actually you know when i'm giving my money to these companies or when i'm giving my capital to these companies to help them to do what they do what is actually the result of that is it just a financial return or am i getting more of that how is it contributing to society and one of the big themes about covid right now is everyone's just suddenly much more aware of the interconnectivity of different parts of society a lot of the most important essential jobs right now are often low skill low paid jobs but suddenly everyone's realizing the importance of those jobs, you know, not just because you don't need to go to college for a lot of these jobs, but at the same time, they can be really important and a part of the way that we all work. And I think by extension, that the impact that companies can have in just decisions they make. So, for example, are they laying off tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers right now? Or is that something that they're trying to manage in some way? So I think that whole idea of impact is just so much just more obvious to people in how they're understanding business and understanding individual companies. I wonder too, if there's going to be more emphasis on the interrelationship between social and environmental sustainability, because a lot of the time, the discussion I've noticed anyway, can often be in silos, but really we're seeing here how there's a real need to take all of these types of impacts into account. And I'm thinking of a theme like just transition, where not only are we focused on climate change imperatives, But we want to make sure that communities are brought along, that the social negative impacts are minimized, that we have the ability to support the economy, jobs. I wonder, and I'll I'll just throw it out to you both to consider, 
are we going to see an increased emphasis on the social and economic aspects of sustainability and those being inextricably tied to whatever environmental types of goals that we're also pursuing? I mean, I can definitely comment in my space. Social, I would say, work on social risks and social factors has often lagged what we've seen with particularly the governance side of things and also in terms of environmental, I think, sort of both the urgency of climate change as well as, to some extent, the monitoring of climate change, I think, owes itself a little bit more towards, it's a bit more tangible, a bit more understandable, whereas I think for a long time, investors and businesses have actually struggled a bit more in terms of how we're monitoring, quantifying, you know, how do you go as far as quantifying culture, for example, or how do you really understand kind of what's making a company tick and how do you display that and demonstrate that in a rigorous way? I think that's always something that's lagged. And so with that lagging behind, there's definitely a catch up. And I think we're going to see that accelerate quite substantially. Even before COVID, the SEC was looking at human capital management disclosure. We've already seen some different areas of the market recognizing that gap and starting to do something on it. But hopefully we're only going to see that accelerate now. Mind you, maybe just a pivot to you and that question that we've been discussing, but also to tie it into an article that you wrote recently that I really enjoyed about social bonds and the role of sustainable finance in terms of COVID response. Maybe just start by telling us a little bit about that article and what some of your research has found, but also to tie it back into this idea of how sustainable finance is being utilized to have these kinds of impacts. Let me start off by first addressing some of the points that y'all have made and just to add to them. When you look at impact, social impact typically has been the hardest one to decipher and quantify. And folks have shied away from applying some of the tools, such as the social bonds, as an issuer to solve a particular problem. Often it is also linked to the kinds of returns that one might expect, because anything related to social causes can often be considered to be representing slow capital, and so maybe the returns will not be as robust. COVID changed all of that. So COVID has brought forth the economic and the social impacts to the forefront. And the governments especially have had to look at all different aspects, such as the healthcare, how to run the governments, how to run basic infrastructure and services, and how to, again, kick up the economy and move forward. So these are all very big challenges that governments are facing. And as we look at it, we have about 3 million cases of COVID worldwide. And this is unprecedented, as we all know. This is also an opportunity to think through how we would apply these learnings in the future for climate change as we are thinking how to minimize the impacts and mitigate the risks for the COVID. And some of it is crisis management, but a lot of it is going to be preparedness, which we have been slow to plan for climate change. But COVID really has made us rethink that preparedness really is a great place to be because it allows us to become agile. It allows us to also think about resilience, as you all have been discussing. So I would say that COVID 
has brought forth the social impacts so much into our daily lives that there is no other way but to tackle it and think through it. So, for example, essential workers that we talk about a lot today, one of the statistics around it is half of the essential services provided today are covered by women, especially in the field of social workers and healthcare industry. So in terms of how do we move forward, and then like you mentioned, the article I wrote was trying to help our issuers figure out how to apply social bonds and make it a part of their offering. And we saw in the last two months, a lot of issuers come to market. In fact, BMO was a lead manager for World Bank's largest U.S. dollar supranational issuance in their history, and it was an $8 billion five-year fixed rate global sustainable development bond. And the order book was actually over $12.5 billion. So most of these issuances that are coming to the market right now, we're seeing are greatly oversubscribed. So, for instance, there was another bond which uh, came to market by, from an insurer, which was a USAA self-labeled sustainability bond. And this particular bond raised about $800 million, and it was 14 times oversubscribed. And when we look at it across the world, there has been roughly, according to Bloomberg estimates, about 87 billion issued in pandemic bonds. And when I say pandemic bonds, these are pandemic response bonds, and they could be a wide variety, starting with sovereign bonds, corporate bonds, as well as development and supranational bonds. Of these, some of them were green or social or sustainability bonds, if they specifically tied their use of proceeds to some social or sustainability causes that would help them further what they were trying to do. If you look at the Cookman Bank sustainability bond, it's a five-year bond that came to market. This one was actually loans to virus hit SMEs. There was another bond that came out of France by BPI, BPI France, which is essentially a French public investment bank. And this particular one was very interesting because it was a one and a half billion uh, euro dollars bond issuance a seven-year COVID response bond, and primarily it focused on financing SMEs again. So one of the things we're noticing is in the next wave, there is a greater leaning towards financing SMEs and looking to kickstart businesses. It's almost like a, a wartime bond. Like It makes me think of you know, something you'd see during World War II where governments are raising money to mobilize a response to this urgent goal that we have as a country or as a society. But now we're using it to deal with this pandemic. And I never really thought about sustainable finance in that way before. But I mean, there are parallels that you could imagine that this is really, I think, maybe an opportunity for us to really see how capital markets can be leveraged for social goals. And that's probably always what green bonds and social bonds have been designed to do. But this really makes it clear that there's this opportunity to raise capital and use it for overt social purposes, and that there's actually an appetite in the market to fund this. And there's actually a great appetite that's demonstrated by the fact that more people are wanting to buy these than there are actually even being sold. I mean, I wonder, David, just from your perspective, from the investor side, like what's your take on these trends that Manju's talking about? Are we seeing a, a more tangible application of sustainable finance that may actually open the floodgates of this kind of activity 
and even more of a demand from investors to be able to support these kinds of initiatives through sustainable finance. I really like the wartime analogy that you made there. I think in events like this, they do mobilize capital. And I think if you look at, for example, where particularly where impact investing has had the most impact on different parts of the investment markets, definitely with high net worth individuals, for example, and family offices, yet to kind of reach so much kind of the main street retail investor. And actually, I think it definitely does touch on just a mobilization of capital. It's like, what can I do right now? And understanding that actually there's a level of investment and capital injection that's required that goes beyond the immediate need. It goes into actually rebuilding. And I think that's where I would extend the wartime analogy is there's a question of, well, actually post-war, there's always a rebuilding that needs to happen. And there's a question of, okay, what does society look like post-war? What does it look like when actually we're putting things back together and do we want it to look the same as before? And I think that's actually an opportunity that I think the impact space has been looking for. Actually, what is it that changes the status quo? Is this a slow acceleration or is it actually a bit more of a handbrake turn? And I think that opportunity has been recognized. I think that's why we're seeing so many people I reckon, you know, out of those that are purchasing those bonds, there's probably a lot there that is actually first time dipping their toe into the impact space, as opposed to a continuation of what they're already doing. And I think that is a lot because people are sort of awakened to this idea of, okay, there's a need here. And actually, there's a way in which capital can be provided that actually is going to help in that whole process. It's almost like a post-pandemic Marshall Plan, whereas in, you know, post-World War II, the goal was to establish an international governance system that would avoid future wars between countries. Now, really, we could use this Marshall Plan to mobilize capital to try to make increased resilience and achieve some of the other environmental and social goals that we have alongside the need to rebuild. And it's an interesting concept that the role of the private markets to foster that and provide more capital for those objectives I think will be interesting to watch. Some comments I just draw your attention to. I just saw we had World Earth Day earlier this month and it's the 50th anniversary. And I was just looking at a small speech that was put out by the UN Secretary General. And they used the opportunity very much to say we're in the process of and we're about to spend huge amounts of money to recover from this virus. And actually very much injecting the agenda that they've been trying to elevate for a long time now, which is actually, well, where's that money going to go? We need to create new jobs. We need to create businesses that are going to help with the clean green transition. One thing, the sort of the takeaway line was greenhouse gases, just like viruses, do not respect national boundaries. And I thought that was really interesting because that's touching on this idea of actually there's almost quite unprecedented international cooperation. I mean, we're seeing that not just in the COVID response, but also, for example, in the oil markets, we're seeing different sovereign nations who have long been rivals actually trying to cooperate more than ever in terms of actually trying to stabilize where we're currently at. And so if you think about kind of what ingredients are really needed to accelerate the climate change program that's required, it probably was firstly a spirit of cooperation that may involve certain interests being deprioritized. And in addition to that, a huge injection of capital, uh, you know, trillions is what we're talking about for an actual transition over the next few decades. So certainly in keeping with what I think many have been hoping for that would ideally have to arise without the need for a pandemic. But actually, while we're in this stage, actually, they're kind of seizing that opportunity, I think. Any additional thoughts, Manju, on any of those? I was uh, going to say a couple of points. One is that 
The social aspects of the impact or the social purpose, as we've been discussing, when investors are thinking about investing in any kind of social impact that David just talked about, there is a lot of sometimes science behind those actions. So what do I mean by that? When we think about this pandemic, in terms of building resilience and coming out of it, there is a lot of science that is going to be utilized. And so there is a lot of facts that is going to help us make decisions. And yet we actually, when we think about issuing a product like a social bond or a social impact bond, we're constantly focused on the social aspects of it. But really to make that social impact, we actually have to use facts. We have to actually use science to get there. So be it healthcare, be it education, improving water quality, whether it be trying to provide clean energy or even basic energy, basic infrastructure. A lot of these things that we are trying to do, which are social in nature, actually has a lot of facts and science behind it. And I think if we could just step back and think about that and focus on that, There could be a turnaround where often I will hear of that. We were not really considering doing a social bond because we are very keen on making sure we can provide the right returns for our investors. And often we've seen that when folks talk about impact investing also, they talk about the returns may not be market-based returns. And since then, like 10 years ago, the thought was a lot more about that. Today, we know that market-based returns can be also accomplished in impact investing. So I wanted to throw out those ideas there because I think there has to be a shift in our mindset as to how we think about the social impact or the building the social resilience and finding capital to become more agile as a society and be better prepared. By some of the estimates that we're seeing right now, if we had been focused on preparing ourselves for future pandemics, the cost would have been in billions, whereas now the damage to the economy worldwide is in trillions. And UN has appealed for two and a half trillion COVID-19 rescue package. So these are some of the very hard realities for us today. And in the future, we not too distant because we are getting close to it, which is the terrible impacts of climate change that parts of the world is already facing, and this could become a a large-scale impact. The sort of international cooperation David just spoke about is something that we'll have to keep on going as we think through this pandemic, revive our economy, and continue to focus on climate change. Another thought that comes to mind is the various ESG implications of this pandemic. So from public health to companies thinking through remote working, capacity building those out, what is the impact on staff and stakeholders. And the the idea that stakeholders are primarily our customers has shifted to now companies thinking that beyond the customers, it's also our employees that we have to think through. And hence, there have been many instances where we have seen executives taking a cut in their pay. And also, there's various sorts of trackers that are being built by rating agencies or others, such as just cap to see how companies are responding to the COVID crisis and how they're treating their employees at this point and seeing what sorts of controversies are popping up over this time period. I think that there is going to be a larger scrutiny and building the resilience and keeping a close eye to a company's purpose, as we discussed earlier, is really a critical way of continuing to provide the kind of leadership 
that we all need today. It makes me think of a discussion that I had earlier this week with Dr. Mekela Krishnan from the McKinsey Global Institute. They, as you know, released a report earlier this year on climate-related physical risk and how it's likely to manifest in the coming years and the impacts it'll have on social systems, food systems, people, societies, migration, financial systems, the economy, and just like the enormous potential impact that there will be. And the conclusions that really stood out to me was their findings around the non-linearity of climate-related physical risk that we are not going to see things happen in a very steady trajectory that in fact, it could be for some time, nothing will happen. And then suddenly there will be an impact that will come about. For example, the repricing of assets that happen to be in an area that will become affected by extreme weather events or flooding related to climate change. That once those things do happen, or there's an awareness of them, that there could be a rapid repricing of value or rapid repricing of the assets themselves, that could have knock-on effects to other parts of the economy. And that kind of unexpected shock is something that is of a great concern for investors and managers who could be the ones holding the bag when when that happens. So this idea of resilience is really analogous to climate change and ties in what we're experiencing here with COVID as a real life example of an enormous shock that was unexpected and the implications it has. We knew though that pandemics exist and would likely occur. We just didn't necessarily know when and how they would occur. And it's similar for climate change. We know it's real. It is going to have impacts. When and how those impacts manifest into big shocks, we don't necessarily know. But resilience is about the company being able to have a robust awareness of what those scenarios could look like and then building that into corporate strategy to allow for the company to be adaptive if and when they do happen. And then I guess there's also a social policy, public policy aspect to that, that you know it creates an imperative to mitigate those types of risks, both through planning and resilience and also taking steps to try to reduce some of the causative factors of it. One of the other things that this pandemic has brought to the forefront is building the capacity or rather building digital capacities or capabilities for a company, for a government, for a city is really important so that we have access to real-time data. The real-time data is a concept that we often use and have access to in terms of the markets, the financial markets, and we are very familiar with that being in the industry. But outside of the financial markets, decision-making does require real-time data for especially times like this. And the lack of the real-time data in some ways has didn't really help in preparing some of the uh, countries or some of the governments in terms of the pandemic when it started to rear its head. So I think it is really important that we continue to build these capabilities for future pandemics, as well as for climate change, because without those tools, it is very hard to bring decisions and accountability or set priorities for making good decisions and bringing relief as and when needed. And I might add by extension in terms of in the ESG space in general, just in terms of 
preparedness and and understanding the resilience of businesses there's still a lot a lot of work to be done on reliable data obviously we wouldn't get real-time data necessarily but even just up-to-date and comprehensive data that is relevant to understanding these risks that's still a real challenge in a lot of these areas particularly as even when we do get very good examples of data it'll often be those who are very much ahead within their peer group and so thereby it's not necessarily comparable with other areas so i think you know as we see consistency and standards and i know on this podcast we've spoken to SASB before for example who are looking to push in this area that's going to be really valuable for us because otherwise to be honest we just can't price the risk and so that Thereby, when there is a shock, when, for example, an asset is suddenly of no value, we're going to see a big volatility in valuations, and it's going to make our job much more difficult in properly understanding the level of risk that we're exposed to across our portfolios. So there's also a preemptive element there, for sure, which can very much kind of help with this whole process of trying to consider these factors. When you talk about risk, we are talking about both the managed risk and the unmanaged risk. Outside of the financial industry and about this pandemic, I was referring also to the idea that, you know, knowing the real-time data around how many cases of coronavirus is there, how many deaths are going on, these sorts of uh, real-time information was slow to come forward, especially in North America, we saw. And the other noticeable sort of statistic that came to market was when OECD on March 2nd published a report that was talking about the interim forecasting that they did for the world economy, and they reduced the global GDP by a fifth in that report. Some of those things should have already triggered. What are the next steps that we need to do? How do we start bringing in social distancing into places and countries where the pandemic may not have reached yet? I think those sorts of decisions are the kind that we will need for the future pandemics when it strikes. We really need to have the capability of forecasting as well as for bringing rather quickly relief to various types of negative impacts and thereby mitigating the risks associated with such large-scale disruptions. Yeah, really fascinating question that poses. And thank you, everybody, for this discussion. I think maybe we'll just leave it there for today and look forward to our next roundtable. Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance. Have a great week. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This is not intended to serve as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any company, industry, strategy, or security. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements as actual results could vary. This presentation is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment product or service. Individual investors should consult with an investment, tax, and or legal professional about their personal situation. Past performance is not indicative of future results.